Hi, and welcome to the HinghamCast. I'm your host, Allie Donnelly. The HinghamCast is hyper-local. We look at the world through the lens of one small town. My town on Boston South Shore. But the issues we explore are unfolding in communities across the country. We launched in January when the pandemic was in full swing. We dug into our COVID numbers, what was happening with our kids, our schools, our small businesses. As vaccines took hold and restrictions were lifted, our focus became less intensely pandemic-centered. But with the arrival of Delta and other variants, it feels like, here we go again. We begin tonight with the sobering news that for the first time in six months, the U.S. has topped 120,000 COVID cases in a single day. The pandemic that everyone hoped would be fading is once again ruining summer plans. Infections soaring, mandates looming. Nationally, cases are up about 30%. And as the new school year approaches, the debate over masks in the classroom heats up. You know, as the news comes out, how do you feel? Are you nervous? Are you not worried? What do you think? The numbers are going up. I think Massachusetts is the place to be, though. And I'm feeling really annoyed because I thought it was going to be over. Disappointed. <laughs> Always lots of anxiety, um, especially worrying about my family, friends who are immunocompromised. I love having a mask in school. We know so much more than we did before. Testing is readily available. People are wearing masks people are vaccinated. So I just feel like we're just going to get through this. I can't imagine anything worse than my not doing something as simple as putting on a mask and therefore somebody gets ill or dies. I would obey the mask mandates. Yeah, I think it's respectful. A couple of weeks ago, I went through full-blown COVID pneumonia. I was in the hospital for about seven days. I got the first vaccine and then I got so busy that I was postponing it. Uncertain, pessimistic, and nervous. We really have no other choice but to send him to daycare. My girlfriend is an ICU nurse, so that's definitely um, hitting home. So things are things are getting worse for her again. So what can you do? It's, it's coming back. So it's a virus. My name is Sonia Steele, and I've lived in Hingham since 2013. When were you diagnosed with MS? Um, March of 2018. I was at work, and my left hand stopped working. Hmm. I was typing away and then I wasn't. And they thought initially I was having a stroke. And so off I went to the hospital and it turns out it wasn't a stroke, but it was MS. What did that mean for you in the terms of the way you kind of lived your life, your immune system, your family? I always tell people that it is in some ways one of the best things that happened to me. Hmm. Because first, my, my case is very manageable. Um, MS comes in different flavors mm-hmm. and everyone's progression is a little bit different. You really wouldn't know that I had MS unless I told you. Yeah, yeah. But for me, a lot of the symptoms are triggered by tr- by stress and other environmental factors. So for me, it forced me to slow down and stop and really make decisions about what I was going to stress over. Hmm. And I'm an attorney, so high stress job. <laughs> Um, to say the least. But it made me stop. Every time I was going to get worked up about something, I would stop and literally ask myself, is this worth a wheelchair? And the answer is always no. Hmm. You know, you talk about triggers like stress and environmental factors. Pretty sure a worldwide pandemic qualifies for both. A little bit. 
It does. It does. And I, I want to say having MS almost made me handle it better hmm. because it is what it is. Hmm. And you learn to accept what you don't have control over. I can't single-handedly end or manage a pandemic, hmm. but I can do my little part. It meant managing, first and foremost, I would say my kids and their experience and making sure that this did not strike them as a time of terror. Mm. I mean, certainly a time of disruption, but not a time of terror. Yeah. So what did your doctor say at the time, you know, about what getting sick with COVID could mean for you? So we already knew based on the medication I take that I'm more susceptible to upper respiratory Mm. infections, which means when everyone in the house gets a cold for three days, I'm sick for two weeks and sometimes end up with a chest x-ray. And so with a respiratory virus like COVID, I was really nervous and talked to my doctor in about April when I went to see him. But they can only speak to what they know at that point, right? So they can only speak to the cases they have seen. And the data just wasn't there. So the only real alternative for us was to lock it down. Mm. So... We had groceries delivered. We did not see friends and neighbors for a long time. We went, gosh, almost two years without seeing my sister, who we normally see every couple of months. She lives in D.C. Hmm. So it was a hard lockdown. It was isolating, but you do what you can with the information you have. Yeah. When vaccines were approved for emergency use and they started to roll out, you know, I know you took them, uh, as many of us did. Um, But you're one of millions of people with compromised immune systems who are kind of trapped in this waiting game of how your body would handle the vaccines. I'm squarely on the losing team because because of the therapy I'm on, my body did not mount an immune response or a full immune response to the vaccine, which means I had my two shots and I have no antibodies. So meaning a vaccine works, if my understanding of it is correct, is by kind of mobilizing the power of a fully functioning immune system, and you don't have that. Right. Because the, and I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, so this Mm -hmm. is, you know, sort of crayons and paper version of what it is, but (laughs) the therapy I'm on um, targets B cells to manage my immune system to keep my MS from attacking me. Mm. And that same piece of my immune system that is suppressed by my therapy is the piece of my immune system that is needed to develop antibodies Hmm. for the COVID vaccine. And it's unique to this one. I've had other vaccines, no problem. There's something about COVID-19 that just had this reaction for my therapy and for certain other immune suppressant therapies for cancer patients or Hmm. HIV patients and, and other types of diseases. The stakes are pretty high. And so the advice for people in my boat has been get vaccinated, act unvaccinated. Mm. And so you will not catch me at a store for more than five, 10 minutes, quick hit in and out, if I even go. Mm. And everybody in my family is fully masked in public. Mm -hmm. We still haven't had people over. You know, the kids, my my two kids are in elementary and middle school, so they are not in the age group that has been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And so we still have that big gap in protection in their vaccination status and also their friends. Yeah. 
And so we've identified a couple of families that we're close to who we know take a level of precaution that makes us comfortable. And so we will socialize in the driveway. We did the fire pits. We've done all the all the trendy COVID um, activities to try and stay connected to civilization mm. without putting my health at risk. Yeah. But now here we go. You know, Delta and other variants. I, I said to someone earlier today, I feel like a hostage in that I have no idea what's next, nor do any of us. But that's, I mean, totally different ballgame for you. What has news of the Delta and other variants done to you or for you? What keeps sticking in my brain is I saw it described as sicker quicker. So Hmm. we knew before that it was, what, 15 minutes of exposure within a certain distance that got enough of the virus to you to make you sick. Well, now we don't know if that's true anymore. Mm. So for me, at least, it puts us back a couple of steps in terms of what we know is safe. Let's take a quick break. If you like the podcast, support us. Share this episode with a friend and make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to sign up for our emails. Each week, we raffle off great prizes, gift certificates, movie tickets, great local swag. Sign up at thehinghamcast.com. Okay, back to our conversation with Sonia and why she says this progression in the pandemic feels so different. So did you feel at all like there was any kind of light at the end of the tunnel before Delta? And then how did you feel after? I did feel like there was a light at the end of the tunnel when I got vaccinated and I, I was giddy mm-hmm. when I went to get my shot and it just felt like a load had been taken off my shoulders. And then when I saw my doctor and he told me about the antibody failure, to me, it felt like someone had turned off the light mm-hmm. at the end of the tunnel. And I'll be perfectly frank. It was a full week of pity party for myself, which is totally outside of my character. Um, But it was ice cream for lunch for every day, every day for like a week. But but then, you know, what are you going to do? You know, you dust yourself off and back we go. Because I think the anger and the frustration and the rage and all these negative feelings that come from the scenario that are so normal and that we are all going through. But where does it get you? And for me, where it gets me is a flare-up. Yeah. When you hear how people are feeling right now with the Delta variant and, you know, the words are frustration. I've heard some people say, you know, they're just angry at the CDC. They've, you know, messed this up. And the scientists, what what were they thinking? And they said it was going to be okay. I don't want to mask again. I don't want my kids to be masked in school. How do those sentiments hit you? Yeah, it's funny. Once upon a time, a very, very wise consultant told me anger is hurt or fear Hmm. coming out differently. I get it. It's scary. It's scary. You know, we know this thing will kill people. We know that the Delta variant will infect people who have already been vaccinated, who even if they are at very low risk of dying from it, they could get sick. That has consequences for everybody. They could get someone else sick. Hmm. So I get it. I really do. But one of the things that breaks my heart about this Delta variant coming up is seeing, contrasting those responses to the initial response in early 2020, when people rallied, 
when people were making masks for first responders and sending Mm -hmm. food to first responders. And some very nice lady in the community who I did not even know did my grocery shopping for me. Mm. And I, I think about that surge of human kindness and that surge of community and goodwill. And it breaks my heart that we've lost that. Mm. Because if we need to mask again, so be it. And I really wish people would see it as a badge of honor, mm. right? See it the same way you see those I gave blood stickers, right? See it as something to be proud of because you are masking to protect other people. Mm. I've been very open about my MS and my diagnosis in part because it isn't visible or isn't apparent to most people, Mm -hmm. but also so that people can realize, you know, high-risk people aren't all in wheelchairs or oxygen tanks or in their 80s. There are a lot of people in our community like me. And so when you wear a mask, you're protecting your neighbors and your friends. And so I really wish people would see it like those stickers. I voted, I gave blood. Let the mask be your recognition. Do you feel seen? That's a hard question. I don't think it's about me. In fact, I know it's not about me. It's not just about me because I have the resources to keep my family safe, to have the groceries delivered, to work from home, to be fine. Mm -hmm. But that's me. And that's not everybody. So it doesn't matter if I feel seen, but I don't feel like the high risk community as a whole is necessarily being seen in Hingham. Mm. I think there is a lot of arguing based on a preconceived notion of who that is and how we could isolate that at-risk group Mm. and not have to be inconvenienced. But the truth is you can't isolate that group. That group is everybody. That group is everywhere. Mm. That group is us. Is there anything... Is there anything we haven't talked about that you would say to your community right now as things unfold? When I think about Hingham and why we love living here and raising our girls here, I think there are a lot of things we could point to where the community falls short, right? Mm -hmm. My family's Mexican. There aren't many diverse families here. Mm. But I think of all the really wonderful things about this community that keep us here. And I think about the kids on their sewing machines making masks last year. I think about the small businesses that donated to help respond to the surges. I think about the way we rallied for that family from North Carolina that came up here for treatment for their baby boy. I think about all these ways that our community shows up for each other. And I would love to be able to put the coronavirus and the Delta variant response in that same category. And, you know, I'm I'm a bit of an optimist, I think, by nature. Mm. But I'm still hoping for the best. I'm still hoping that even with the anger and the frustration and the fear and we're not even going to talk about the politics, so go ahead and edit that out. But all of these negative feelings that are being flung around with the variant and the ups and downs of the virus progression, I would hope that as a community, we could still rally for each other because I think it makes us a better place and it makes us a better place to live and work and do business and 
um, and be proud of ourselves. Before we hear from our next guest, I want to thank our media partner, the Hingham Anchor. To put faces to these voices, log on to HinghamAnchor.com and catch up on all the community news. Okay, back to our conversation. I want to bring in my next guest. Julia Raifman is a public health researcher at Boston University School of Public Health. She's looking at the effect COVID-19 health and social policies have on mental health, among other issues. Julia, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. You know, as these new variants emerge, and it feels like of-the-moment news, how are you, a mom of a toddler, feeling right now? Thanks for asking. I, you know, I think I have followed the policies since the start of the pandemic, and we know so much more now than we did at the outset. Mm. And that the most important thing for us to do is is to not breathe the same air as other people. This is especially true with the Delta variant because we've learned that people who are vaccinated may still get the virus and transmit it, even though the vaccines are very effective and people who are vaccinated are much less likely to get the virus and to have severe disease if they do get the virus. Mm. But because of the Delta variant, each person who is infected can spread the virus to the estimate between five and eight other people. Mm. So you can imagine if if one person who unknowingly has COVID, they may have asymptomatic COVID, or they may think they just have allergies. Um, if that person wears a mask, then uh, they are less likely to spread it to five to eight other people. And if those five to eight other people are also wearing masks, then the then the spread is further reduced. And of course, each person who doesn't get COVID, that prevents spread to five to eight more people. So yeah. masks are, are really important for preventing transmission. And that's especially true for our kids under 12 who remain unvaccinated and for people who are immunosuppressed uh, for whom the vaccine may not work. Yeah. Um, I should say we're talking Friday morning. So by the time the podcast drops on Tuesday, there could be even more clarity or confusion on how the virus is mutating. But, you know, hearing so many people say they're frustrated, they're depressed, they're angry. Does that surprise you? No, this is an incredibly challenging time. And we see that in the data. You know, we see that 70 percent of the population is experiencing anxieties. Mm. This is certainly traumatizing for the whole community, that it's hard, that things are constantly changing and that it's dragging on and that we long to go back to the way things were. Um, You know, I think that the pandemic has made clear that it's going to, to continue to evolve over time, you know, whether it's because of a new variant or seasonality or changes in behavior, like going inside in the winter, Mm. like we can expect things to continue to change and policies play a really important role in helping us coordinate our actions and know what to expect. So for instance, I really love this policy that Governor Sisolak in Nevada has implemented uh, where he has linked the mask policies locally to the data on COVID transmission. And so that means that mask policies automatically turn on when there's a greater risk of transmission in society. They also automatically Mm. turn off when there's less of a risk. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've been through so much from people dying, long COVID, losing jobs, you know, virtual school, drive-by birthday parties, you name it. And we don't really know what's next. And, you know, for me, I'm not so much worried about me getting sick per se. I'm worried about catching the virus and passing it to my youngest who isn't vaccinated. You know, we've we've already had COVID in my house and we're seeing issues with long COVID. Um, 
you know, and then you hear the news from Dr. Fauci, who says that an even worse variant could push worse outcomes. And what do you see on the horizon for Massachusetts and masking and outcomes and what we need to be doing for kids, schools, that kind of thing? First of all, I think it's been really incredible to see people across Massachusetts really follow mask guidelines and and follow the um, recommendations of public health officials. You know, I I think we've come together to control the virus uh, relatively well in our state. um, And I really hope we'll continue to do that. Mm. I think we we have no idea what to expect next and that COVID teaches us a lot of humility. And I think as we think about mask policies, we, th- we might th- be tempted to think, well, you know, do I want to wear a mask or not? I actually think what we're thinking about is like, do I want to have a mask policy or do I want to have a school closure policy? Do I want to have a mask policy or, or do I want businesses to be closed, whether that's because everybody's afraid to go to them or because the government actually closes them? You know, you look at um, Hingham, where where we are, and so as of last week, 69% of Hingham residents were fully vaccinated, according to the town, which is a little bit better than the state average. Our town administrator said, if you look at only vaccine-eligible people, so people over the age of 12, we go up to 82%. I feel like when I'm talking to friends, there's a little bit of a push-pull, like, well, we're in Hingham, we're, you know, everyone's vaccinated, and, you know, we're doing great, and we're in Massachusetts, and and um, all of those things are good. I really don't want to be a, you know, kind of doomsday prepper, so to speak, but do you run the risk of kind of getting into a bubble? What is the kind of mental challenge of seeing data and acting in a way that's responsible, but maybe not, you know, kind of over the top, so to speak? Yeah, I think the disease makes clear that that we are all in this together and that what happens in Texas can affect what happens here in Massachusetts. And when there is um, widespread COVID across the country, that um, that won't just stay in in one place and it can lead to variants that then affect all of us as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know you uh, headed up the COVID database project for um, BU School of Public Health. What do we know? You know, I, I do have friends that say, well, kids aren't getting, they're not dying. You know, I I don't want my child to get sick, even if it's mild, because who knows what's kind of coming down the pike in in terms of effects. What do we know about transmission for kids and what's happening with them or the potential long-term effects for them? You know, I think we are lucky that that children are not most likely to die, like like has happened in some pandemics. At the same time, it's not just death that we're concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, over the past month, twenty six hundred kids have been hospitalized, and that's very serious. It's very it's not typical for a child to need to be hospitalized, and hospitalizations are um, an indicator of severe illness. The more kids who get COVID the more we'll get Miss C as well. And so tell us what Miss C is. Um, Miss C is a um, cardiovascular side effect um, of COVID that is an inflammatory condition um, that can affect children um, after they've had COVID. Um, we also don't know um, what the longer term effects of having COVID are. Mm. We don't know what happens to people five years after they've had COVID because we haven't had it around for five years to be able to study that. Mm. We still have a lot more to learn about the Delta variant, which is relatively new. But it is clear that with the uncontrolled transmission we're seeing right now, um, that child hospitalizations are increasing at a rapid pace. Are we seeing those numbers in Massachusetts? One moment while I pull up the data. 
So um, in recent weeks, we have seen child hospitalizations across the country more than triple, and they are continuing to increase at a rapid pace. Uh, during the past month, more than 2,600 kids have been hospitalized, uh, and that trend has been slower to re reach Massachusetts, and there were even some days where there were no new pediatric hospitalizations in Massachusetts, but that's changing. Mm -hmm. um, and we now have um, the start of, of what may be a rapid increase in cases in Massachusetts. What is it that you're seeing in the numbers in Massachusetts that make you think we'll follow the trend around the country? Okay, so across the whole country, um, 45,000 kids have been hospitalized for COVID throughout the pandemic. Um, but the bulk of those hospitalizations occurred during a big wave, like the wave we're experiencing right now. So so, so if we've had 439 child hospitalizations um, in Massachusetts so far, then um, I worry that um, we could easily have another 439 in this, this coming wave if we don't do anything to stop it. Hmm. So for context, all of the pandemic so far, there have been 400 and something kids hospitalized with COVID in Massachusetts. And we went down to zero on some days. And now you're starting to see that tick up that you worry could get rapid. Yes, exactly. In the rest of the country, those one or two cases um, have snowballed in, and turned into 2,600 cases um, throughout the whole country. As kids come more into play, so to speak, and people are figuring out, you know, should I wear a mask in the grocery store? Should I let my kids go to the movies? What do I know about that family uh, where they're going to have a play date? I can see this getting all the more polarizing. Um, what advice do you have for people to kind of keep everything manageable and, you know, in check and not go off the rails, so to speak? Like, what, what's your kind of emotional advice right now? I think for your listeners and for anybody who has kids like that, uh, it's really anxiety provoking to go into mm -hmm. another year trying to navigate uh, the prospect of of working and um, and having kids um, suffer all of the negative um, uh, mental health ramifications and educational ramifications of not being in school. Um, so the best way to, to keep our schools open, um, the best way for us all to interact with each other safely um, in society and, and take joy in each other's presence is to control COVID. Um, and the best way to do that is, is to increase vaccine delivery and to, um, to, to collectively decide that we're going to wear our masks in crowded indoor spaces. But, you know, the CDC is saying when there is high transmission in areas where there is uh, a, a large number of cases, indoor masking. But if there isn't a lot of transmission in our town or our community, how do we read that? Yeah, so um, I, I saw the CDC scientists in the slides obtained by the Washington Post, and their recommendation was that universal masking will be required to control Delta. Hmm. And it may be that people who are in communities with low transmission say, you know what, um, when transmission is low, we value not wearing masks more than we value um, controlling the lower level of transmission. And so that's where I think that policies linked to, to data, like the state of mm -hmm. Nevada has, where the mask policies turn on when there's high transmission and turn off when transmission is lower, that's directly based on the CDC's advice about um, how we should be approaching the pandemic. 
And it's, um, it's a really smart approach for navigating what is showing itself to be a longer term pandemic and a very unpredictable pandemic. Linking it to the data means, you know what, we don't need to have this discussion every time something changes, it's linked to the data. Yeah. Do you envision lockdowns? I think we should think of mass policies and lockdowns as a, cho- a choice between each other rather than as part of the same thing. So mm. um, if we have indoor mask policies, then I don't think we're going to be as likely to need lockdowns. If we don't have any policy, then we're going to have uncontrolled COVID transmission, rapid increases in hospitalizations for everyone, including kids. And that increases the, the chances that we may need to lock down because we, we face just an emergency where our hospitals are overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Julia Raifman, I thank you so much for all your time. Thank you so much. And I wish your family luck. I wish you, um, I wish you stay healthy. I wish your kids are able to go to school this fall. And I, and I wish that for everyone listening to the podcast as well. Ah, me too. Me too. I want to thank my podcasting partner, Kristen Keefe. She lovingly edits each episode to help listeners really connect with our stories. It's wonderful. Thank you to our interns, Claudia Chiappa of Boston University and Hingham's own Cameron Baker. Our website was designed by Donna Mavramatis and her team at Mavro Creative. And I'm Ellie Doma. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.